has captured some of the most iconic images in Bassmaster history. Actually, some of the most iconic images in outdoor history. Some call him Street, some call him J.O. I call him this week's guest and my road buddy, James Overstreet, Bassmaster photographer, joins me this week on... I'm Bob Cobb for the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. Welcome one, welcome all friends, family, fishing freaks, freeloaders. You're all welcome here at the Awkwardly Honest Fishing Podcast that goes by my last name, which is Mercer. And uh, as week after week, I thank you guys so much for what you do for this channel. We're at 167,000 YouTube subscribers, so keep the grow going. Make sure to like, comment, subscribe, all that sort of stuff. Last week, we did a roll call where I asked people where they were from, and it was awesome to hear. I mean, we have people listening to this show from South Africa, um, people from all over the globe, Australia. I mean, the amount of people that commented, a lot of Canadians, a lot of Americans. I thank each and every one of you. So this week, I thought, let's keep that trend going. Let's get to know each other a little more. And this week, my question, if you can leave it in the comments, let me know of the biggest fish you've ever caught. Whatever it is. I mean, if it's a bass, a bass, whatever your prized fish is, the biggest fish it is, just let us know the type and the, the size of the fish in comments and uh, give us any feedback that you'd like to see um, so that I can get to know you guys a little bit more. And to be honest, I'm really just asking you that because the more comments, the better the algorithm is. And the happier the algorithm is, the happier this channel is and um, it allows me to continue to do these kind of fun things and this week's show is going to be a lot of fun um, it is with one of my best friends on this entire planet um, when I'm at Bassmaster events generally I'm eating dinner with him um, unless there is you know some work thing that I have to go to or he has to go to but but most times, I mean, me and Street, we are road buddies. We have uh, spent countless days on the water covering Bassmaster events. Um, and he's just honestly one of the most interesting people there is on earth. Um, you know, a lot of times people call him the most interesting man alive, but I just feel like that's overused. Everybody has a most interesting man alive that's their friend. But James Overstreet truly is. I mean, he's a man who once met... Clint Eastwood in Greenwood, or not in Greenwood, in Greenland. Greenwood's probably a nice place wherever it is, but in Greenland, um, when he was serving for the military, um, it, he's just like the things that this dude's done. But on top of all of that, he is a world-renowned outdoor photographer. I mean, he has captured some of the most iconic moments in Bassmaster history. And um, he's got a lot of stories. And this week, we're going to listen to a few and just for those of you wondering i mean that's all this show is i mean week after week i have a conversation with a different person from the industry and you guys get to listen in i hope you dig this one because uh, it's always fun talking to world-renowned bassmaster photographer james overstreet right now joining us from arkansas james overstreet we have lured you out of the woods in your quest for Cletus, the last time we talked, you were making biscuits and gravy for your grandchildren. What is going on today? 
Uh, today we're preparing for the first rain we've had. Well, we had a little bit of rain, you know, a couple uh, a couple of days ago, but we're supposed to really get some storms come through here in a little bit. And, you know, I'm just kind of out here going around the premises, getting ready for the big storm, and and I've got to pack my boat up now because my I'm camping still at the lake where I deer hunt. I stay at all of it happens up there. Now, now I'm taking my boat up there. But it's muzzleload season we just had. It's not the actual big time gun season that, that'll last for a while. We got that coming up too. So anyway, well, good. I'll try to fish some, dude. Is it is it getting good there right now? Like this next little while's got to be prime time, no? We'll keep getting better now, right now. Um, and it's been warm. You know, the water's not really cooled down as much as as I would think it would be, but. We're, We've had some pretty hot, like we broke a record high, and then we turned around and broke a record low one night <laughs> this past week. So it's kind of all over, you know. So the nights have, been, have stayed pretty warm, then we had a cold snap. So it's it's just slowly tapering down, you know. And But I know where I'm staying there on the lake or the creek there. You know, I, I see a lot of bait starting to move up in there, you know, especially in the evenings when it gets still, you can really see what's moving, you know. Yeah. I think that transition is starting to good time to go probably so when season ends for you do, do you even think of bass again until the next season or what like yeah i don't i, I guess uh not a whole lot man <laughs> um, i'm a total decompression person you know and uh my wife will even tell you i mean first and foremost i have to get away i have to have this i have to get away from people in general and it's nothing personal against anybody, but you know, I just, I just don't want to be around anybody. And, and that's the time that I'm in the woods, you know, and I, and so it all kind of, when our season is finished, it's a, it kind of coincides with a good time for me to kind of camp and, and I shoot a lot of photos in the fall, chasing fall color stuff, whatever, wildlife stuff, and hunt a lot. And, and that's a lot of that solitary and I get, I get over my people problem. <laughs> You, so you think you have a people problem? Well, you know, no, I didn't used to have. Maybe I do a little bit now, more than I used to. My wife's claims maybe because I'm getting, you know, I'm old codgery now a little bit more. But, um, you know, people give you COVID and crap like that, man, if you stay around. <laughs> I, and so I love people in small crowds and big spaces yeah that? yeah i think i think that's normal though and i think it's normal for the kind of weird job that we do where you're around like when we're around people we are around some freaking people a lot of them and i think it's normal to need to get away and decompress how is hunting going I mean, I see a lot of wildlife. I see a lot of deer every day that I've been. So it's, I mean, it's been good from that standpoint. I had shot anything, but that's not why I'm going. That's not why I'm out there anyway. You know, not to say that I wouldn't. Yeah, no, it hadn't happened yet. I mean, I you know, for I can make it. It's like fishing. You make a hundred excuses why, but no, I mean. I only got a couple deer I didn't want to mess with, and I hadn't seen any one of those yet. So explain who is Cletus? Is Cletus one deer, or is it is it is it multiple uh, deer? Everybody has Cletus in their 
if you start talking down south, if you went to different deer camps before you left, you spent the night there, sat around a fire with a bunch of dudes down south at a camp, some story would start coming up about some mythical deer. Yeah. I don't care if this deer club's out in the desert. They've got a buck out there that's the biggest sucker that you have ever seen. But he's totally unkillable, of course. <laughs> Mostly because he don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that. It's a kind of a catch word, I guess, for like big mature buck that rule the roost and the you know, the, the true trophy deer that have lived through a lot of hunting seasons and are true test of a hunter, you know, I think. Yeah. Yeah, everybody's got a Cletus. They're chasing it. Some guys have a hard time finding the Cletus. Um, take that whatever way you wish. <laughs> what? Uh, we'll do. Yeah. Tell, tell me about the biscuits and gravy. Because when we talked the other day, you were you were excited about some biscuits and gravy. No, I wasn't as excited as my grandkids because that's why I make them anymore. I don't just make biscuits and gravy all the time. Everybody probably thinks us country people all we do is eat biscuits eggs and stuff well i mean you know we do eat a lot of that stuff but <laughs> no gra gravy is hash browns especially for me anyway um but no I, I man i can make good gravy you know and that's just i got it i learned it when i was younger i watched mom my mom would make it you know pretty much every if we had breakfast we would have gravy you know and it's just that I, we call it like sausage or milk gravy. It's made with flour and milk, and then you're using the grease out. If you cook sausage for, uh, for breakfast, you cook your sausage first, and you take that grease, and you dump the flour in it, and you, you fry in that grease and getting the roux made up. I mean, it's all a heart stopper, man, the whole way from there on. From the time you start messing with, I mean, so... You don't think much about it till you learn how to make it. And then you're going like, damn, I really ought to quit making this. I don't <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. You know, you can't keep You got to eat it, man. And then yeah. you put it on biscuits. I mean, it's just something you got to do. It. It, I always want gravy and biscuits, so I cook them. That's about the only time. Well, I mean, I bet you yours is good. Do you think yours is better than others? I don't know. Depends on who the others are good point <laughs> i mean it's pretty good it's i'll put it this way it's like a steak like if a guy cooks his own steak this gravy is like i like gravy and i think that's how you learn how to cook things you know how you like them i mean why the hell are you making it for if you don't like it why are you even cooking it at all so that's how you cook so i cook gravy like i like it and like my mom made it so yeah it's good man <laughs> grandkids seem to think so they do. They've grown well because of it. They've got strong bones. It'll probably help somewhere in there. <laughs> Milk part maybe help. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Do you do you still love your job at Bass? I I don't like to travel, but I love taking pictures, man. You know, I just do. I mean, I love shooting the launch most of all of everything I ever do from the launch is my favorite part. Though. Yep. And so, yeah, I mean, I get up early. I like being out there, man. I like, I like the whole 
I like all the lights and you know the goings on and the music going that early in the AM, you know. Yeah. Listening to you in the background while I'm running around doing my deal, you know, it's just a show, man. Like going to the fair. It is. It it is an amazing perspective that you get to get to have. And and I think, I mean, it makes sense. You like the morning the most. You have the most creativity with your shots and stuff like that. But you also like when you're taking way in gallery pictures, you're not getting a chance to talk to the guys and getting to be part of that joking. And I mean, I think the takeoff is a huge part of why anyone does what we do. That's the that's the part that you miss the most. I mean, like in the off season, I'm not like, I need to yell boom shakalaka, <laughs> but I am like, I need to go hang out with street and, and Rick Clun and street and swindle, whoever, you know, insert name here. But, um, cause I think that's when you really get to know the guys too, like really who they are. They're just themselves there. Well, how many laps have we made around docks in the last hour years? You know, and that's what it is. You're making light, or at least me, I'm making laps. I'm, I'm always looking for things to shoot. But while you're doing that, you're moving along, you're moving along. You, you know, and you come by this guy and this person and this, you know, so yeah, you're visiting, saying good morning. And it's a process of, you know, getting your deal done along with that. It's a, it's a process of, hey, we're working and good morning and good luck. And I got to go on and get me some more. What, what stands out to you from this past season it, it, or is it too close to the season for you? Cause see, I, I feel like I personally need, like whenever I have to answer that question, I hate getting that question and it's kind of rude of me to ask it because I hate getting it. But when you get it right after the season, it's hard to compress everything that went on. Is there anything that stands out for you from this season? Man, I really think, and and the only reason I would say this because I don't think I re realized the significance of forward-facing sonar until after our season actually was over. You know, I knew that it was having an influence on what people had in their live wells. That you know they were catching them that way, and uh. But then I start running into everyday dudes out here at home in Arkansas, and a lot of them are crappie fishermen, man. I mean, I, yeah. I, I told somebody the other day, I, I said I would almost venture that these like crappie fishermen here have benefited as much or more with that forward-facing sonar as bass guys have. Oh, yeah. I mean, any more. Uh, the first question, like my neighbor over here across road over here where he worked for the Arkansas game. Well, he's a big crappie fisherman, you know, does that spider, you know, and it, I've, I hadn't seen this guy in months, talked to him. I go there and, and uh, talk one morning. I had one of the first things he asked me if I knew anything about the forward facing sonar, had I used it, what I think, you know, and, and then you go to these small lakes. I went camp and just took my tent and my boat and went down there and shot a bunch of photos and fished three days. You see these smaller, you know, aluminum boats and obvious crappie rigs. They got the spider rigged, and they all got for man. <laughs> they got all this. Uh, they got all these electronics on these boats. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the crappie world has embraced it. I think they embraced it quicker than the bass fishing world, to be honest. Like you know, when when Patrick Walters did his deal on Fork. 
there was already crappie boats using that stuff. You yeah. know what I mean? It was, it was, um, it's, and I think it just seems weirdly shocking to us because I think that shows how snobby bass fishermen are. Cause we look at crappie anglers. We're like, they're not going to do this, but that's just because we don't know enough about crappie fishing. I think that, you know what I mean? The high end of crappie fishing. I mean, those dudes, uh, are very insane, just as insane as the bass anglers and what they'll spend to catch fish. Do you like forward facing sonar? Like, I mean, what's your personal take on it? Mine? I'll use it if somebody will give me one. <laughs> it's a great take. It's really a great take. I, I mean, really, man, honestly, and even deer hunting this year and fishing too, uh, I don't know why. And there's no really specific reason for it, but... I think I've gone as far as I want to go personally on all of it. It's like camera gear, same kind of thing, you know, uh, all the Photoshop stuff. I've gone as far as that. I'm going to go on that too, you know. Uh, because if I'm just going to fish for what old J.O. wants to go try to catch, and I'm going to try to go to a place where I can try to hopefully at least catch them the way I want to catch them, you know, one of three or four or five ways that I really enjoy doing, you know, and one of them ain't going to be out there looking at that scope, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going out there and looking. Well, besides my damn neck hurts all the time. Anyway, I can't sit down there looking at that thing all day. I see them now. They got some kind of rod sticking up in there now where it's more I live. That's probably for people like me. got all that titanium in it. I bet Byron Velvet got one. He probably got his up there about shoulder high. On the bow, because <laughs> you know we both got that same thing. You can't sit there and look down all day, man. Yeah, I. But that's that's uh, it's not for everybody. But the I do I think now that the top fishermen in the world, I think they'll use every dang thing that is their disposal, and if they're you know if it's illegal and it's within the rules, um, I hated the Alabama rig, man. I did it. Initially, I said, man, I'm glad they kicked that junk out. Because, I mean, I got tennis elbows on it first time. <laughs> Somebody sent me some. Those things were so heavy. I mean, I don't know how, what the, just the thing weighed with that. And this is before I put the swim baits on it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a big old chunk of lead on the head. It had these big wire cables sticking out of them. It was heavy duty, you know. Well, you know, and they didn't tell you, now they'll put you some three, some little, little, little Kitex or little race, little 3.75s on it. I go straight for the big stuff, man. I put me four big old swim baits on there and no big old hog having around me. Man, I'm telling you, dude. I, so just, I thought I might throw this on a flipping stick because it wasted. <laughs> I ain't got nothing else that'll hold up to it, you know. And I didn't, and I heaved that thing around, but man, it was devastating. I, and I never got that good with it as a lot of people are, but I took it down to a little old lake I fish in the winter, and them suspended fish that I used to couldn't catch in them creek channel turns and stuff, man, I smoked them suckers with that thing. No. But I think that's the last time I ever threw it. It was a mess. You, I pulled fish, and I'm going, damn, I don't even know where to start unhooking stuff right here. <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's true and until you catch them on it like the first few times i fished with it i'm like this thing is just ridiculous and then when you go and you catch them a day yeah and then you go try to pick up a tube jig or whatever <laughs> afterwards you're like well 
I just was hunting with a machine gun. Why do I need to start using a pellet gun? Um, uh, you know, I did finally get a rod that was a really good rod. So, you know, I, I thought you needed, I just had the wrong rod the first time I used it and, and way too big of a rig, you know? Yeah. But I still don't throw it, man. I mean, it's, it just falls in line with the same thing. I'm just a casual guy. I'm not trying to win any money out here fishing. I'm trying to go catch me some crappie plays or, or go just have a good day of fishing or whatever. And, you know, I just think I'm to a point to where I, I'm going I'm to go fish however I want to. The way you like to fish. And that ain't going, you know, unless somebody wants to give me one, it ain't going to happen. You heard it here. I mean, if you give Street one, he will use it. I mean, uh, uh, no, I don't do that. I'm not saying that, but. When you started talking about rods, I thought you were totally going to swing that into some cheesy pro sponsor plug. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't do that either. <laughs> I don't uh, have sponsors anyway. So <laughs> I guess I could say me and Gary Klaus can say whatever we want about what we use. <laughs> <laughs> where, where, where are you right now? And, and what, like your backdrop there's a lot of podcasts out there that make like, uh, I mean, they throw a bunch of bobbleheads or something on the shelf and try to make a background look good. But then there's just your shop that I feel like is the perfect podcast background. What what am I seeing behind you? Yeah, I mean, I didn't do this off of you, Davis. So. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm sure you didn't. I know, but I mean, yeah. But uh, I guess maybe all it really is, this is where, my wife would tell you, man, I don't stay in the house. If I'm home, I'm outside doing something around here or I'm in here. And this is a bench, long work bench here that most of what I'm piddling around with working on, that's where I usually start right there. A lot of hand to it, blah, blah. So, but everything on the wall, I thought, you know, if I'm going to stand here and work at this bench all the way up, as I you know, get to be more and more of an old man, I won't be looking up at stuff that I like having around me. You know, yeah, and uh, you know how it is, and so that's what some of this is. This little, well, what do you have back there of interest? Important. Show me some stuff, it's important to me, but it ain't important enough for my wife to let me have it in the house. <laughs> <laughs> it's important for me, but not important enough for my wife to let it in the house. That is a legendary line. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like deer heads and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My wife don't like that. I mean, she don't mind one or two looking down at it. Okay, so you want to know about a couple things? Yeah. Uh, I get my walking stick. Can you see that video's all right? I need some more light on that. Oh, no, no, I can see it. I mean, the, most people are watching their cell phone, so it's probably like a quarter of an inch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are we pointing at? Oh, that's just a bunch of my, this is a bunch of dead soldier camera gear that don't yeah. work. Anymore. You know, I none of this stuff works. It used to, but till I got a hold of it for a while. So I don't need nobody coming over here thinking they fixing to roll out of here with some of JO's high dollar camera gear. No, none of it working. Ain't. <laughs> it ain't worth getting this stick right here. <laughs> over. You know what I mean? It's been worked. Oh, there we are, uh, Arturo. Oh, you can't see that because of that light. Oh, that picture. It's that picture of us playing poker. Yeah, you know that. Yeah. That was one of them that everybody signed. 
That's oh, very cool. Here's this. You see this little paddle? Yeah. That was my first trolling motor. <laughs> what? Well, how long ago was that? Dude, I had that little sculling paddle. What we call it, I guess, what everybody calls it. Since I was probably about sixteen, uh, my grandpa gave me a three horse, a three horsepower motor, gas motor. He called it Mighty Mouse. It's one of them little that had a gas tank on top. You know, one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, he also sold me a old car he had. So I, I carried that three. I carried Mighty Mouse around in the trunk of this car. It's an ugly Plymouth. It's the ugliest car anybody ever had. But it's <laughs> he's just trying to take care of me. He gives me this three horsepower motor. Well, back in the day, these lakes in Arkansas uh, that the Game and Fish built, none of them are that big, but they all rented aluminum boats. Just the boat, you know, 12 foot John boats. That's what they always were, three bucks a day or whatever. Yeah. So I would have my little mighty, my motor, and I would. Pay my three bucks, get me a aluminum boat, grab my scrolling motor, <laughs> off I'd go. <laughs> the original trolling motor. Yes. Okay, so that's the story on that. The rest of them's just, you know, that's the first dip bass I ever had mounted right there. But the, a matter of fact, it is the only bass I've ever had mounted. I don't know why I mounted that one. <laughs> uh, Oh, uh, uh, see where I'm pointing right there? Just yeah. Let me, that's about fish. You remember when I started to work for bass, you know, I did the fish tracking deal. Yeah. That's the apparatus that was, that I used. Oh, cool. Cool. That is, it, it's still to this day, it's one of the coolest things bass has ever done. And for those that don't know, Overstreet's original job with bass was to work with the hammer, Jerry McInnes, and uh, track these fish. So I don't, I'm always going to take it. Are you going to take it down or what do you get? Oh, go ahead. You're doing just finish what you're talking about. Now. <laughs> so Overstreet would show up to the events way before pre-fish, like 10 days before an event, and literally go out and catch some fish and put this tracking device in them, and we would – I say we, but I didn't even work for bass at the time. Um, but they would track the fish all week long. And and then you would find out the information during the show. And if you haven't seen it, check out some of the older Bassmaster shows. It was one of the coolest things that ever happened in bass fishing history. If you ask me the ability to track fish and, and we learned lost lots. And we also learned that there's a lot we didn't, we don't know. Tell me how this deal works street. That looks way better than forward facing sonar. The, the original forward-facing sonar. Yeah. Well, I mean, really, this is probably this is some really old technology. I'm sure. I mean, um, <clears throat> when we would put the tracking device, catch the fish, and then put the tracking device inserted into the fish and release them. Each one of the devices had a separate uh, ping tone and pattern. Yeah, like longs and the short, uh, that that sort of thing. So. I'd catch fish, write down what we were going to serve it to the fish, what pain pattern that fish would have. And then you could dial in that frequency on the screen right here to track that particular fish. Each one had a unique ping. So you weren't always looking for 
you know, every fish had the same ping. They were all different. So I would just change the settings here and start looking for my fish, depending on where I'd mapped him and that sort of thing from the day before. So what what goes in the water to read that? Like, is there? Here this, yeah, I was going to show you this part too. Man, it's just, it's it's just a cone, um, and obviously it picks up sound. Yeah, and I, you just dip it in the water, man. I I'd hand I'd hand hold it. It has a deal where you can put a pole on it right here, but yeah, I just kind of always just stuck it down in the water and listened. And then I, I would use a headset that plugged into that thing we just looked at a while ago because I could hear like the further if they were a long ways away, but the further you were, the lighter the ping, you know, you barely hear yeah. it. Yeah. Got closer, we get stronger. So when the wind's blowing and all, we had a little speaker system that you could listen, but I preferred the heads headphones and uh it's pretty cool, man. It's like a, another adventure, you know, another deal. I've been fortunate to have had a lot of those yeah how many years did you do that for oh and i don't i know two years for first two years for sure and then espn kind of i don't remember how i got the plug pulled on i, I don't get into all that but um now a couple couple of full seasons that's a lot of tournaments at that time yeah i mean i think and i probably we had 15 tournaments think then that I would do those I would where I would track fish and uh yeah I would get there 10 days before they would and catch and start tracking so that was a long long year you know being on the road and all but hell he's basically paying us to go fish I, I said all right <laughs> I guess you did uh no I mean that was some of the coolest things and we still hear about that today I wish we could I wish we could do that again um but for as much as you guys learned there was times where you also like I remember talking to Jerry about it because I was obsessed with that stuff and Jerry always said like some of them would just swim exactly how you read in the magazine that stay in the weed line and then there'd be just as many of them that would just swim right across the lake in the middle of nowhere literally teaching that we know less than we think yeah and for me that was the coolest thing about well i was pretty into tracking the fish too you know because i was pretty fascinated by that side of it just having come i was fishing tournaments and all the time too i thought you know i might really learn something yeah and so did jerry and uh especially jerry and rick clun was you know they had a lot of conversations about what we were doing i know rick thought pretty fascinating deal we were trying to do but uh but it did the benefit of that for me the most the most the greatest benefit of that was to be able to work with mr jerry that's when i got to know him you know yeah and i really didn't know him up until then and uh, well you know he'd come and do his segment and we'd hang out in the boat and, and became great friends so i think that I learned that uh, I learned more than that than I learned from the fish tracking. Spend the time with him. Oh yeah, yeah. He he was an amazing, amazing man, and I think any of us that got time to spend with him were very lucky. And you got more time than many. You know what I mean? Like one on one time where you were just, you know, and and I know how Jerry must have been then because 
Jerry's always the same when something's his like new baby. Like he must have just been obsessed by it. So um he was, yeah. He was so, very cool, very cool situation that you got. And well, and then from that was born one of the greatest wildlife for were you even taking pictures at that time, like for bass, or that was just you were the fish tracker? Um well, it kind of all came together about the same time. I, I tracked fish initially. I went to the first tournament I tracked fish was the first elite. The first elite series was on, uh, it went Amistad, Sam Rayburn. But I went to Rayburn first, caught fish, and then I went to Amistad. And uh, I stayed there for 10 days. And anyway, I caught the fish there on Amistad. And that was the first tournament, two tournaments that I did it. But when the, you know, now keep in mind, I'm tracking fish this whole 10 day period so we can get a, you know, and I'm marking their locations and we're, we're getting maps put together about what these fish are, are doing and, you know, where they're located, you know, how deep I'm keeping track of what Mr. Jerry wanted to know him on weather, barometric, he wanted wind, every possible, you know, uh, environmental scenario that there could be that we should maybe take note of. He wanted all that, you know, and and he didn't do computers then, man. So I had to buy a printer and, I, <laughs> and uh, I would print these maps for him when I know he was coming in and we'd get together and talk about each fish and all. He loved it. He would name them. He would name the fish before we, he would do the segment. And, you know, like we were down in Texas, he'd name one of them Sundance or, <laughs> or whatever. You know, he'd have like names that were kind of fitting for the, for the area. Yeah. Yeah. What's the coolest thing you learned from that? Like, was there something that stood out? Like, was there one particular fish that you still think about till this day? And really, Mercer, and I think Jerry and I both kind of agreed on this one is uh, number one, <clears throat> I didn't think they moved as much as they did. Uh, overall, you know, uh, I mean, they can but there also seem to be like a fish have personalities too that it seems like there's lack of some way to describe it. What, what, they're like home, some of them are like homebodies. You know, they kind of hung out, you know, and, but now some of them would go off on these quarter mile a day deals and they're just moving along, you know, and they'd be hard to find and that sort of thing. But uh, they were different. And I never thought a fish would just up and cross the whole freaking lake. You know? Yeah. I mean, literally from one side to the other. And uh, I didn't, I could see them kind of maybe following the shoreline or whatever, but never just, you know, straight across. Yeah. Hump out there and then go on. That was cool. But no, uh, I learned that we don't know, we don't know near what we think we know. <laughs> that is the truth. <laughs> We, we think we know some stuff about them, but that's why they trick everybody every now and then. That's why it's so humbling, you know. They're a creature that, well, I start to say you can't see, but you get you one of them, get, get you one of them gizmos. Now, <laughs> but I don't know. I, th I think that's one of the biggest things that forward-facing sonar has shown, too. Like how often the fish, like we fish structure. 
And we've learned, all of us have learned that no matter where you are, whether it be structure, cover, doesn't matter, you know, or, or current breaks and things like that. But we have grown up feeling like that fish is locked on that dock or that fish is on the rock pile. And maybe it moves the other side of the rock pile. But forward-facing sonar has shown that they spend a lot of time nowhere near that structure. That you, you know, in the past you'd only fish. Now people are catching fish off that structure, and that's one of the major reasons that, you know, so many of these big Texas bass are getting caught at the one time of year when they normally just sit out there and nobody fishes for them. They're yeah. able to find them now and capitalize on it. So it's, uh, it's weird, dude. I've never seen something that like I thought it would die down by now but i've never seen something just like even the alabama rig it was a year-long argument it feels like this argument's getting bigger and bigger every day because the people that love it love it and the people that hate it hate it and then there's a bunch of people in between that have never tried it really but it, it's people are freaking passionate about it well i, I think the one thing that it allows you to do kind of like the Alabama rig. It it, it kind of gets you past the quandary of suspended fish. You know, because there's always been oh those suspended fish are so hard to catch. You know, they're uh, you know well maybe they just like to hang out there and be suspended. And that's where they stay. And if you can feed them a bait where they're suspended, maybe they'll eat it, you know, but I, you remember back in the day of pulling up on a point or, and, or a, let's say a channel swing or something. That you look on your deal and say, oh, man, everything out here is suspended. You run the next one, they're all up in the water. Call and go, damn, ain't nothing on the bottom or around here anywhere, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And, but that, uh, that deal there is, uh, it changed the game on that, too, you know. Where yeah. You you, know, you throw a jerk bait or something on those kind of fish, you know, they're up in the water column. Now, you, man, you know the depth, you know, I mean, you got it all. Yeah, there's people literally chasing fish, like literally out there just chasing a fish. I wonder, too, if, uh, what do you think about this, having used it some now? Are, uh, are there always fish in places that maybe you... Are you just passing through? Do you find that you, you've blown by a lot of fish in previous times? Yeah. You just, you know, you know what I mean? So sometimes you just want to stomp on the troll motor and get to the next good looking stuff. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's the biggest thing I think we that I've learned from it is they're not always locked on to what you think they are. And we way overestimate their ability to swim. And what I mean is you you look at how I mean, and this came from just literally swimming with fish, not just from the forward-facing thing. Like when I'm doing the underwater stuff and shooting that, I've spent an incredible amount of time swimming with them now. And yeah. me as an angler, I way under-overestimated just how little or how much they will, way underestimated how much they'll swim. Like it's literally 10 kicks of a tail and the fish is much further than most anglers will ever go search for them. And and they'll go out there just to check things out and then just come back. And you know what I mean? And they may stay out there. It, it's those fish spend a lot of time moving that we're not fishing for them. Literally. Like it, it, the more I swim with fish, the more I think about how important it is to turn your back to the dock. Sometimes you get so many people going along the shoreline, that first break, there is so many fish that spend time on that first break. And almost more so than now, the difference is when they're up 
super shallow generally they're up there to eat yeah but but i mean they suspend off that break a lot i find um well it, and, I, and, I, and going back to the fish tracking deal the one thing they all had in common when i would release them and i always try to release them exactly where they came out of the water just to make sure they had their bearings hopefully you know just do all you could to make sure and <clears throat> when i let them go the next time I would check those fish, they would, sounds on the point, they would all be deeper every time, all of them. Every fish that we ever tagged and I ever tracked went deeper the next day. Really? Yeah. I think I that's just them, to recover or? They'd be in 18 feet. If I caught them in seven, they'd be out there further off the point, for instance, you know. Wow. Now, Why do you why do you think is that just to recover or you know i don't know and that's the see that's the deal you don't know there's a lot of variables you know we knocking these fish out too with jungle juice and one live well you just put them in there and they just they just then you do your deal and, and then you put them in the freshwater tank and they just pop or immediately they're back to doing their yeah live or good <clears throat> so is it you know i always wonder well you know could it be a product of us you know <laughs> you know it'd be like what what all we did to them while we had them knocked out and then brought you know is, did they just go out there and just sit and say man i got to get over this bill you know i don't know what the hell happened but uh you know we like going down to mcdonald's somebody snatch you out the window pick up, you know carry off in there knock you out and you wake up somebody cut your belly open and <laughs> takes a little uh, while to recover from that yeah i mean it may be just that but I don't know that. I mean, what was the reason? Yeah. Well, maybe that's where they spend most of their time. I just happened to catch them up in seven feet of water because they were up there like you were talking about to feed. Yeah. That's the variable that you, that the hose that I think you had to do a lot more than we did to kind of plug those hose and figure exactly what was happening. Yeah. I mean, you guys literally just scratched the surface. You did what you could on the lakes that you were at, but um, you imagine what you would learn if you did that longer. But I think we're learning a lot from forward facing sonar. But if I have you on here and don't talk to you at all about photography, I am going to get yelled at by people. So I do need to, I mean, dude, you have captured some of the most iconic moments in this sport. Um, do you have like, a top two, a top five, a top three. Like, do you have moments in your head that you're like, man, it was so cool to be part of this? Oh, probably the best photo I personally think I've taken was uh, the one of Seth Fighter on Malax with the rainbow. Oh, one of my favorites. And, you know, and Rick Mason is his camera guy. And, you know, you start looking, you know, Rick Mason passed away just right after that tournament, you know, and uh, it's just, uh, <clears throat> that's a, that to me, you know, that's the, the one. Uh, and then Van Dam uh, in, at New Orleans, when you know, I'm on him, he catches that last four pounders. I have a Katawachi. Yeah, I have a photo of him rod in one hand, fishing the other. He's just screaming like crazy. You know, what he's saying is he knows, we all know. And all his competitors that are around him, they all know that he has just sealed that deal. And 
And I'm like, this daughter, I mean, that, that's another one. Probably those two. I mean, they just kind of come to mind. There's a lot of them, but those two. Oh, yeah. For sure, those two. And I took a, and Skeet, man, I had some stuff with Skeet on the water. It was some of the best, you know, calling a square. He caught, you know, 25 on 25 casts on Gunnersville, and they're all five, six pounders on a crankbait. Shallow on a square bill. That was that got kind of wild. My my favorite ski pictures you have are ones that are never published. Uh, well, no, but they will be one day, Dave. <laughs> well, ski would. Um, and this started long before I was in the boat with you. I think this started many years ago. But Skeet would, as a friend would at times, yes. would give you the finger while you're on the water when you see him or whatever, just as he passes you. So Street over the years has collected this every time <laughs> this unbelievable gallery of Skeet just flying the bird. <laughs> oh yeah, he's flipped me off in every way he could, man. <laughs> like, even on the dock in the morning, if, you, if if anybody else knew what the deal was between him and I, I mean, he'd have it up on the steering wheel and be driving, <laughs> but you know, he'd be doing his hat or you know, it was always some subtle deal he tried. to. And then, especially though, if I followed him around on the water, every time we start moving, he you know, pretty much let me know what's up. It's this. It's <laughs> <laughs> all in fun, though. It was, it was pretty fun. Yeah. My favorite one is Skeet. It is, that is actually one of my, I got one of Skeet catching his truck classic winning fish, too, at uh, Red River. I mean, that last big one, he's in the, I mean, man, it's the deal. That one's a good one, too. I like that one. But that wasn't one I was going to talk about. Uh, Skeet at Gunnersville when he won throwing that big swimming swim bait like a spinner bait up on a bank. Yeah, I, I was on him on that deal, and he's moving around a little bit. So I'm out there about hundred yards from him, waiting on him to get started up and get moving. And he pops a bow up on his boat. I just I can't see nothing but the bottom of his boat <laughs> and his finger. <laughs> A little bit like this, <laughs> <laughs> and so of course, that was my favorite flip off that he ever gave me. <laughs> if your friends can't flip you off, who can? Um, he can, he can, he can get away with it. Do, do you feel like there is a and this might sound weird, but do you feel like when you're on the water with an angler and you're covering the water, especially an angler? And especially like if you're on them for several days and they end up winning that event, or even if they don't end up winning the event, it, there's a weird bond you have with that angler. You know what I mean? Like at least, or maybe I'm overthinking it, but you kind of feel like because you were there to see it all and you went through it all, the highest and the lowest there, afterwards, I just always feel that there's kind of this intensified connection with that angler is that all just in my head or do, do you feel that oh yeah i mean maybe the anglers don't feel that at all they might, i don't know i mean i think they have to get a certain comfort with you being there though yeah to really be themselves you know and where you really start kind of maybe but i don't do a lot of yapping out there and uh, unless the guy wants to talk some you know You know, it's kind of like you're in your office doing your thing. You're not doing a bunch of, but yeah, there's a, I mean, you know, when you're with the guy and he wins whatever his first term or whatever that, yeah, it feels pretty good to be there. Cause he, 
Yeah. I mean, you're just seeing a guy have one of the best moments in his life, man. You know? And it's as good as it's going to get for him right then, right there. Why the hell wouldn't he want to have pictures of it, Dave? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I mean, you know, I just um, – and, you know, a lot of guys, you get to know them before they win, of course. Yeah. Because it's hard to win, and some people don't. And you get a guy like Bill Long, and all of a sudden he finally went, dude, been doing this longer than me, longer. Yeah. After however X number of years, man, you know, that uh, you rode that – you rode the horse with him a lot <laughs> over the years. And, uh, but I always wanted my horse to win. Even though I might have had a buddy that was in contention, if I was shooting a guy, that's my guy. Yeah. I think that's natural. I think that, you know, Jake talks about that. All the videographers talk about that. You got your, you got your, you know, whoever you're connected to, that's your team type thing um, for so that week. Ride the right horse. It's the nature of the profession, you know? Yeah. You don't want to have your work seen of a guy winning the tournament. Uh, I don't know what you're doing out there. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, you want to be there, or you should want to be there. If you're on baseball team, you want to be the guy that hits the home run. If you're on, you know what I mean? Like, that, it doesn't matter what you do. You should want to, like, if a photographer says, hey, just put me down with some of the guys that have no shot, that you know that you've got, you've got oh, the wrong photographer. I ain't saying it happens to these guys we got now, but I know I've seen it happen in the past. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Not amongst our guys, though. Yeah. <laughs> okay, then riddle me this. Like you said, you're beside them, near them, at some of the greatest moments in their lives. What are some of the most uncomfortable? Because, I mean, we've been out there when you see somebody clearly not catching them and they were set up to <clears throat> so what were some of the most uncomfortable situations to kind of witness uh oh man i got one that's a doozy but i better leave that one in my pocket um that's that is not the rule of this podcast if you think it you have to say it street um I don't know, man. I've been uncomfortable for a guy before over stuff that happened. Not that I, I was, you know, I've laughed and thought, well, let's let this kind of go for a while. Yeah. But I've seen some meltdowns. I don't mind a dude cussing, man. That don't bother me, you know? Oh. Uh, but it does bother me when you look around and there's a bunch of people around there watching you out there fishing and you're supposed to be a pro and you out there. I mean, I just think that's part of how you ought to behave, you know, be a professional. Yeah. And uh, I've been uncomfortable. I wish I hadn't, you know, been there when that went down, but that's, that's about it. You know, I mean, Hey, meltdown's a part of fishing, man. If I go out here tomorrow and lose me a seven pounder, I might snap a rod right here. Yeah. And if Stevie Wright's with me, that's sure to happen. <laughs> that is the truth. That is the truth. No, so you know the uh, I don't know, man. The thing about live is it showed uh, it showed more of what really goes on. You don't ain't no editing going on. Yeah. But 
And you still was just word of mouth when you come back off of the lake, you know, there be trip up there waiting. And it's hey, and the how that stuff gets back to the bank sometimes is what amazes me, dude. Yeah. I mean, you go out on the water all the time together, and something would happen out on the water. Now there ain't nobody picked up the phone and said, "Hey, man, such and such." You know what I'm saying? But by the time you hit the bank before the weigh-in, I know I've had trip. Uh, James, uh, what do you think? I'm <laughs> 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 like, trip. That's my answer to that is always the same. Ah, it's just boys being boys. <laughs> Looking at my feet and keep on walking. <laughs> yeah. You no, know, man, I remember I used to, you know, I think it's kind of calmed down now because you got like, you got too many dang cameras around all the time now to really dog cuss somebody and get away with it. <laughs> I'm sure I like that either. I mean, you know, that's kind of what jacked up NASCAR. Hell, they'd stop in the middle of the race and fight in the infield, man. <laughs> I don't understand NASCAR at all, dude. Like, uh, like I literally, there was a race on the other day, and there's, like, how do you win? There's different stages, and, like, it's all, what the hell did they do? Motorsports, I know of. I don't even know how to follow it. That's wild. It's wild. It, um... I don't know. I can't. I can do day one, two, three, and four, but I can't get into stage 22, orange, 21. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're in stage 17, white number, you know? Yeah. I, want, I, I don't know. NASCAR, well, I quit watching it a long time ago. It's confusing. It confuses me. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. So what, what is the, uh, what is the biggest mistake that wanted or soon to be outdoor photographers? Like, I mean, the amount of young guys that we have showing up on the elite series now, whether they're covering anglers, whether they're, how do, how do I become the next James Overstreet? If I want to be able to like, dude, your abilities to like, and, and I always tell people, I'm like, the world doesn't know, like when they see these amazing pictures that you take, people will be like, wow, he must have sat out there and waited for that moment. I've watched you literally drive a bass boat, look over at me and say, give me the big lens. Hands to the camera with the big lens, not even come off pad, just go. And you take a picture of a bald eagle mid-flight that would make most people cry. How does... Is that just natural ability or is that just something you've done a lot or like, how does a young photographer harness what you have? I think they probably don't take enough photos. Actually, most people don't, you know what Sago and I do when we're not working, taking, getting, getting paid to take photos. <laughs> we're taking photos somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I just edited a whole bunch of, photos last night and I worked on some more this morning and uh you have to work at your craft you know and you have to certain things that you need to try to you need to set yourself apart if you can develop a certain try to develop a style of look to your photos it's not like everybody else's because man I sure see a lot of cookie cutter stuff right now you know and it's easy for somebody to run off and try to process like this guy or that guy does when that's that's really not, I don't think that's what you need to do. You need to, don't be like somebody else. There's already him. 
Yeah. You know, if they wanted him, they'd already have him. Or he's already working for him, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, and you need to learn how to shoot a little bit of everything. I mean, stuff you maybe don't even like. But it teaches you how to, how to set up and, you know. And then I think a lot of it too, everybody's gotten so, uh, and, you know, at risk. It sounds like an old dude again here, which I guess that's what the hell I am. But uh, people are getting too, you know, like they want the shortest cut to the most get thing to get stuff done. To yeah. And, uh, and we have to jack, man, dude, when we're in tournament mode, we got to pump it out. I mean, it's got to happen fast. And, and, you know, newspaper guy right there shoot one photo. He's done for the day. I said, I want you to go get a picture of a guy stopped at a red light. Okay, boom, I'm done there. I mean, you got to pump out, you know, a hundred, whatever, publishable photos today. And uh, you need to learn how to, you need to get a workflow where you can work fast. Because if you're going to work for anybody, they're going to want it right now, especially live events like we do. You want to turn it, you be able to turn it around. And, and don't get hung up on the camera. You know, so much uh, people, it's a piece of, it's going to do whatever you tell it to do. And it, it can't think, but you'll spend too much time looking at it, thinking about it. And you'll miss everything that's happening in front of you because you're messing around with knobs and, <laughs> you know, that's not, don't get too hung up. Learn enough about it to where you can function, you know, and find a, if you can just find a mode you like to shoot in, shoot in. Everybody thinks you got to shoot manual like us pro. You don't have to shoot manual. You don't want to shoot manual, don't shoot manual. Shoot whatever you want, but shoot a lot. And process a lot. Don't just shoot them and then just go, oh, you know, click, stop, pull some of them into Photoshop, do your processing on them, work your workflow. And uh, that's how you get to where you can work with somebody. Because we don't have no time to train them, dude. And Bowman, he ain't, you know, we just don't. We're not going to train them. They need to roll up. And, and most people aren't anymore. You need to show up. I mean, you've got to go. Ain't nobody got time to train you. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Work at it. Work at your craft. I think that's something that's missing in the world today, dude. Like a lot of young, and I know I'm going to sound old and curmudgeon, but a lot of like interns and people that I've had experience with, they, when I showed up, I remember showing up at Bass <clears throat> and I was already in my thirties at that time. You know what? I had kids and you know what I mean? I felt, felt I was an adult, but I still showed up there and was there to learn. You know what I mean? And was there to shut up. Like, what am I going to teach these guys who've been doing this for 20 years? But I feel like there is a, maybe it's just from a generation of everybody telling their kids they're special or what, but people show up and they expect to teach the older dudes how to do it and don't take the time to learn. It just, it shocks me, but it's not, and it, I talk to people in every industry and they say that's kind of status quo for the you know what I mean? The, the way it is right now. Um, so it's, uh, I think if, if you show up and you're willing to learn, like, are you man enough to shut up and just listen to these people that have done it for a long time? Um, which I mean, there's times when I've not been man enough to shut up in my life. I mean, that's, that's 
pretty evident. <laughs> Not your job, shut up. <laughs> well, sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. You went to Alaska after the season ended. Tell me about it. Oh, that's the best vacation. My wife uh, retired in June, and we kind of planned on going after she retired. It's the best vacation we've ever had. You hadn't been on the Alaska cruise, man. I, I mean, it was worth it was everything I would hoped it was going to be, and it was worth every dime we spent to be. And, you know, Alaska, I hadn't been to Alaska. All the places I've been, I never have been up there. And, you know, it's kind of a different way to go. But really, uh, <clears throat> I think I saw, you know, from the ship. I mean, you obviously could drive it by car or whatever, I guess. But, man, it's just so far. I think in the number of days that I had to see Alaska, you know, that ship was probably as good a way to do it as any. Yeah. And then you get, you know, you get into a port and you maybe you jump on a buggy or something. You ride up in the mountains or, you know, like, you know, the best, the coolest thing we did was the train ride up into the Klondike, you know, and, um, up in the gold country when they, big go rush stuff. I mean, it's a unique part, man. It's the mountains, you know, every mountain range is different that you visit. Th these mountains are just, I mean, you got to be a man to go live up in them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you better want to live because <laughs> it's a rough place, man. You can tell. I mean, it's one of the places, hell, it looks cold when it ain't cold, you know? <laughs> Mean place is unforgiving. <laughs> it looks cold, but it ain't cold. Um, yeah, and that's coming from a guy who spent what you spent like a year in Greenland. Yeah, I did. Any comparisons between the two? Nah, you know, I I wasn't. In, I, I'm sure it's colder in Greenland just because where it is or where I was. And I must yeah. 35 miles above the Arctic Circle. Cold, cold up there, Dave. <laughs> Imagine it is. <laughs> it's colder than the coast of Alaska. You know, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine. I like cold weather, man. I like cold weather. You'd rather cold than heat? Oh, heck yeah, man. See, and I feel like everybody in Canada says they'd rather heat than cold. So, I think you. you just like what you're not in. What about you, though? You don't like that heat when you come down here. Uh, I'd rather... Uh, I'd, I think I'd... I'd, I'd, I'd I think I'd rather have heat than cold, like, to be honest. Like, real cold? Like, I just... I don't know. I mean, dude, cold is cool. Everything's cool if you can get out of it, to be honest. Like... Whenever I've been in snowstorms with people that don't get snow, they're like, oh, this is beautiful. When everybody who lives in my part of the world is just like, son of a, like, that's the worst thing possible. So I think if you can get out of it, it's nice. But but I think that cold and heat do the same thing. They just lock people indoors. And you know what I mean? People do less than when it's super cold and when it's super hot. They, it's the same down south. I mean, nobody fishes unless it's in the evening and stuff like that. So, um, I, I do more in the winter though, when it, because when it gets, you know, when it gets a hundred degrees, man, I'm out. And, uh, I, I, I'm just not going to do whatever it is yeah, but you're, I, when it's cold. I don't care. It can be in the third. I, I mean, it's fine. I don't get cold. I get, I yeah. 
Yeah, but oh. it gets a little colder than the 30s here. Unless it's raining or something and it's cold, then it gets that way. Yeah. I'm, I'm about to fish a bunch right now. We got a good front coming in, man. It's going to drop the temperatures into the all Our highs are going to be in the 60s all this next this week after this rain. So Nice. Good camping weather. My wife and I are going back up to the camper, up to the lake. Nice. Hanging out up there until gun season starts, and I'm going to really get on old Cletus and hide about then. Hey, I, I have a question that I've never asked you, I don't think. And we started asking it on this show last little while. What's your take on Sasquatch? Is there such a thing? You've spent a lot of freaking time in the woods. And here's when I was 16, I, I read an article and there was only like two major outdoor magazines that filled the stream and outdoor life. So it had to be one of those. And, but it was a big, article like three pages about Bigfoot. I end up writing my uh, term paper about Bigfoot. And so I do all this research that I could, you know, if you didn't have the internet, you'd go to the library, you know. And you yeah. Stuff and, but long story short, no, I don't believe. And I got a dude right now, man, down at Caddo Lake. He tells me if I can just get to Caddo Lake that He'll just about introduce me to Bigfoot. Yeah. Come on. Oh, that's what the man claims he can <laughs> claims he can get me close to Bigfoot if I'm willing. And you're not willing? I ain't willing to go down there with him and look. <laughs> <laughs> I'm willing to get close to Bigfoot, but not with him. <laughs> okay. What about UFOs? Eh. Now, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if there's life out there. You know what I mean, man? There's too much we can't see. I mean, we don't even hunt. We can't even count ducks right. <laughs> so, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you know, there's a bazillion stars, man. Something out there somewhere. It's probably, I don't know if it's life like ours. I, I just think there's something. I mean, it may be, I don't know, man. But do I think they come in here and abduct these dudes and all this and you know, cut their hair, and I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. I'm gonna say no. But now, having said that, I don't believe in either one. If I ever publish a picture of either one of these that we just talked about, you can damn well bet it's for real. <laughs> so you're saying if the picture comes from you, it's not going to be faked? No. Well, yeah, that's what we would expect from you. No, but man, you know how it is. People try to do junk be shady all the time about what they see that's that trying you know, to get that's, it. that's what i've always said i want uh people just trust me enough that i've got enough integrity in what i do that i won't never put a picture out there of bigfoot that i didn't actually take all right well i wish you'd go to cattle lake and take a picture because it'd be cool to be like yeah my yeah, do you know what it would do to this so freaking proud. Dude, do you realize what it would do with this podcast if my buddy found Bigfoot? Like, oh, it wouldn't just be your podcast. <laughs> I'd have to mess with all kind of people, man. I'd give you the first crack, Dave. Okay, good, good. <laughs> got it lined up. Get the first. Exclusive Bigfoot interview.
Hey, how about Combs this weekend? I know you probably love that. Like, dude, last open of the year. Cool. He wins, and now he's in the Bassmaster Classic. Yeah, man, I like me some Combs. You know, I was on him at lacrosse, too, man. You know, because he was in contention. Yeah. And, you know, and then he's he's up, I said, then the second day, he fell back to, what, third, fourth, fifth, something like that. And then I'm like, I I just went by him. I said one thing to him that second. I said, Got these boys right where you want them, Combs, and they just kept on going, you know. Uh, man, that dude's been due. I mean, come on. I mean, oh. he's too good not to be winning this stuff. Yeah, and it's we it's weird because he, you know, dude, he was in the top ten for Angler of the Year, like, yeah, every freaking year. But these last couple of years, he's just had tougher seasons than he's ever had in his career. So. But I doesn't matter. Kind of right now to me, kind of, and I don't know why I made me think of this guy, but it's almost like paralleling John Murray when he, I first started following John Murray on the Elite Series, you know, guy from out in California had all this one everything, you know, you know how Combs used to treat them boys down in Texas down there, man, in the opens, you know, I mean, yeah. they never come out of there as strong as him. And Murray coming out the West, of course, he's with some other guys. Eating Aaron and those guys, but uh, man, Combs ought to be thundering though, and I, and he still got it in him to do it too. Oh yeah. But well, you, know, you think about it though, Dave. You think about you know he won at Falcon. I don't remember what year that was when he beat Clun out down there the last time we were at Falcon. But, something says thirteen to me. I don't know if that's right, but in my head it says that. But it's been a bit. That's a long, uh, you know. It's odd how these guys, the momentum goes the other way, you know. So many times. So quick. Even the great fishermen, the greatest, they have these downturns and you're like, yeah, for whatever reason. I guess there's a lot of reasons, but maybe Combs is, let's see what old Combs can do this next year moving forward. I thought he'd have an AOI by now, to be honest with you, when he first came up. Yeah. Yeah, you would think but he i mean dude he's been so close um i was totally wrong he won um no 2013 he he did i got that right sorry i looked it up while we were talking here he, he, yeah i did with that if i hadn't if i would have just slid my phone away and acted like i was googling something else oh you can blame it on that covid fog i do have some covid fog I do have some COVID fog. Oh, I don't know if it's from COVID or not. <laughs> That's oh, good. Oh. That's a good point. Oh, the new guys, dude. Who stand? Who's like stands out to you as man? They're going to be here for a while. And I, I mean, you don't have to name everyone. Just some of the people that because oh, well, I don't want you getting in trouble. Name me a couple, and I'll tell you. Yeah. Well, I just got to give you names, and you're going to tell me if they're any good. No, I'm give me five, and I tell you, I tell you, give me two, just two. Who you like? Uh, well, um, Cody Huff. Oh, ain't no doubt. He's that's Rick Clun's dude, man. Yeah, Rick believes in you. You should believe in you. Yeah, he does. You know, I mean, you can't uh, get. He's, he's like a. He's gonna be here from now on. As long as he wants to be, he's a, I think he's very good. Yeah, and and I think Jake 
Jacob no. Fouts, same deal. Um, obviously, obviously, um, Sleepy Jay or whatever you want to call him, <laughs> Jay Shakurat. Um, cool hand Jay. I've heard a bunch of different nicknames for him, but he's just Jay Shakurat. Doesn't get dude to watch his first season is sh I'm really excited to see how season two goes because I mean he went into the year feeling like I don't know if I'm ready for the elite series, but clearly, clearly he was ready. What about Maddie Wong? Uh I think Maddie's got a lot of what it takes to be a good pro. And you know, man, a lot of these. You know, mind you, people that stick around, not you know, they got to catch fish too. But you know, you got to be able to take care of the business side of these things too, and family side has got to, you know, because you're gonna travel a lot. There's a lot of factors, and uh, I think Maddie's very personal and, and appealing to you know some companies that might want to work with a young guy. He's got that going for him, big personality guy. Yeah, um, but you know, man, probably a little shell shock coming into the elites. Hadn't had to, you know. A lot of guys that come into we're talking about some fairly young guys, but on the other end, you got guys like Josh Douglas that came in. Like, man, them dudes been climbing that ladder for a long time, you know. And I'm not saying they're, they don't come in there a little bit big eyed too, but uh, you know, you don't ever know about that part of it. Yeah, it's manage all the rackets that around it. It's like the same thing with the classic. You know, can you? Can you? That's why you see pretty much. You look at the Super Six, man. It's usually filled with veterans at the Classic. It's populated heavily that way, and uh, I think it just. And sometimes there's somebody just, man, they just get it. They it's not that big. They go in there and they win it, you know, whatever. But for the most part, it's veterans that have been to a few. They shut out all that junk because you know you're going. To, we're all wore out for a tournament start. And they are too. They're yeah, and uh. I think it takes you maybe a couple of them to get your feet under you. And it takes maybe a year or two on the entire the tour itself, going to different lakes and who you going to room with, man. You know, what are you going to eat? What time yeah. are you going to eat? When are you going to do tackle? Uh, it, you know, it's a million things you got to do all of a sudden that you're not used to doing. So Yeah. Some guys need a little bit longer to make it. And some guys just don't need to be here. Yeah, no, that's the truth. There is, and that's the truth in sports. You know what I mean? There's everybody knows a great football player, hockey player, baseball player that was the best in your town. And then he went to the best of the best and he wasn't good enough. And that's just part of it. Matty Wong and it just, because he was connected to this. We're not talking about him not being good enough. Um, oh, he'll, no, he'll tell us whether he's good enough. He reminds me of Carl Jacobson. He has everything it takes personality-wise, visually, uh, talking to crowds and everything. And it's just a question of whether he's got the gumption to stay with it long enough to let the abilities catch up. You know what I mean? Because Carl grew up not fishing for bass. Like, I mean, didn't throw jigs, didn't do any of that stuff. Um, and Maddie's fished for bass, but the way he fished for bass, I mean, he'll tell you, you know, like he went from a boat that was literally this a year younger than him the year before he qualified with one black and white graph on it to 
a fully rigged bass boat, you know, and learning electronics and all that sort of stuff. So I think Maddie's got to spend a lot of time on that end of things, but I think he is like, if you look, if I've watched his Insta stories since the season ended, he's fishing with different people in different places. And that's what it's going to take just to work. And, and I, I think he's got the work ethic. I think, it, you know, and I mean, what's easier? Is it easier for a guy who, I mean, you look at it, there's some dudes who can catch him, but they have got none of the stuff that Maddie's got figured out, figured out. What I was about to bring up, it's kind of like you have guys every year, they just have natural fishing ability. They're going to catch it. They yeah. catch it. Man, that's what they do. It's what they've always done. They're the natural at it. But they may not be a natural at sponsorship or business <laughs> or meetings or going to, you know, all these, you know, you got to go, you got to rep these, what you got on your jersey, man. You know, I don't know if everybody figures that in, but. I guess, you know, it is, you got you guys that have all the talent, can catch fish, can't do the other part until they have some time to learn. Obviously, everybody can learn as they go, you hope. And then, but then you got your guys that, big personality guys, great dudes, but man, they maybe they made it too quick or maybe they just, because of where they live, Carl live in Australia, Maddie yeah. Walker, Hawaii. How much fish, how much bass fishing, you know, really, I mean, you know, they didn't grow up doing it like we did as kids, you know, but uh, there is a there is a difference where the two have to eventually meet, you know. But you've seen Carl make that that margin has closed and closed with him fishing better. Yeah. Then he becomes the total package, you know. Yeah. And Carl's one of the most mentally strong humans I know. Like if you watch you his. You got to be. And that. I think of it sometimes like a, it's going to say fishermen were salesmen. Got a hundred of them. You go out there through, they go through these neighborhoods, knock on the door, get, get told no 200 times. I ain't buying that. I ain't doing whatever. And then all of a sudden you get one and it's the big one, you know. You got to be able to deal with that. Uh, man, there's a lot of downsides, there's a lot of not winning. Mostly, you, gotta, you know, you got to win with goals. I think you know, make them and try to meet them, make them a little harder to meet, but still make them because you got to figure out how to win somehow. Because you're not going to tote that trophy, man. Very often, there's very many people who do. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, find your victories, small victories somewhere else. You know, find them in. Hey, I did the right thing and made the right calls. I just got beat. You know, I made some good decisions. You know, then you just kind of keep. But growing on that, and uh, look for the best positives you can. That's what I would say. Dudes get beat down, man. You can't. And surround yourself with good people. Yeah, yeah. It, the mental power is the most important. Like to, the ability to stick with it and keep it up is to me one of the most important. Because you, I mean, you see people after you know that slow snowball starts rolling. Like they have a few rough ones. And even veterans, you'll see them. They're just like, they're wishing the year away so they can get to next year and have a fresh start. But you can't do that on the, especially if you're a rookie and you only got two years to stick around, you know, like it, that's a real tough thing. I think, you know, like when they qualify, they got to start catching them quick. Like you can't, 
Well, you I mean, know, Dave, it's just like in any, well, here we are going back again, uh, you know, in a professional sport. Uh, if you get caught up to the big leagues and you hit a buck 25, you ain't going to be there very long. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what you did in the past. It doesn't matter that you hit the most home runs in your high school. You did this, that. You don't do it there. And you're not going to be doing it anymore, ultimately. It's uh, it's kind of the cruel side of competition, really. I mean, but it, it's... It, it's Matty be the first to tell you it shouldn't be easy to stay. I mean, I think he said on this very podcast, like, it shouldn't be easy to stay at the top level of something. So, uh, you know, like, He's putting in the work, and a lot of the young rookies are putting in the work. But, um, dude, I'm happy to work with you. You're my one of my, like, dude, I go to events, and people wonder who I hang out with. It's this guy right here. Um, how often we have dinners and everything together, and um, it's good seeing your face again, Street. That's what I'm trying to say. You look healthy this time around. I know you look good. You look like you're taking care of yourself. You look like you you're gonna make it through winter. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might. I think I might. I'm open. I mean, all signs are pointing towards that, but yeah, the classics in like 170 days or something like that. I saw somebody post a thing last week that we're 170 something days away. So, but we'll be together before that for the first elite series event. And um, what what do you got ahead of you the next little while, Street? We'll be living in my camper. I'm okay. I'm gonna be at the light. I'm gonna stay at the light probably till the end of the year. Um, you know, we'll come back home and I'll, you know, my wife and I. But I'll stay at the light a lot. I'll be there. So then it gets really cold, you know, and after everything's kind of yeah, yeah. So that's well, my deal, man. That's what I plan on doing. When it gets real cold, just call me up and I'll tell you about real cold. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like going ice fishing though. Hey, that that doesn't make you a dummy. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> well, I've been invited so many times. I just uh, yeah. That's I mean, I quit drinking. There ain't no way I can do it. No, that that's I mean that that's the one thing most ice anglers have. Well, I shouldn't. Ice anglers get ornery. Uh, people get angry when you talk about their. Ice anglers are fine. I'm just not one of them as often as possible. Yeah, but I mean, it's all right if I don't get it. I'm in Arkansas, but you're in Canada. Maybe, probably, I don't know. Maybe they think you ought to be their boy, Dave. Well, I was, dude. I did it a lot growing up. But here's what happened. Um, and I still will do the odd bit of ice fishing. But I'm just not that hardcore dude who just is like, you have to be committed to it. But here's my theory. Before I worked for Bass, I ice fished more. But like once you have an opportunity to get out of it, like so I go away for two weeks in Florida and I'm home for the one weekend I'm going to be home in between our events. And I look out my window at a frozen lake. There's no part of me that's like, oh, I need to go out there and <laughs> drill some holes. And dude, and I've tried. There's years where I order all the equipment. And I'm like, I'm going to be a hardcore ice fisherman. And I go out there and, I, and I'm like, before I even get a line in the water, I'm like, this sucks. So it's. I'm I'm just spoiled, I guess. I don't yeah, know. You just go runner and gunner is what you are. You got to be able to cover some ground. Well, and yeah. Looking at one hoe, you just need to go out there and do you about a couple hundred hoes, Dave. Just run from one to the other. You know, get your little milk run going. <laughs> <laughs> Take your little spoon and run real fast. Keep an eye. And what you do, you got to scoop the stuff out of there and keep it. Free. Well, yeah, you you use the 
ice auger and you drill a hole and then you, you use your ice scoop to scoop all the ice off the surface run down through there just yeah yeah it's just riveting it's riveting and what does the fish think they're under there in the darkness and they're like ah, the light they <laughs> I was fishing on like Hampton one year about 40 miles from there the guy you can tell you some of the north way he talks you know recognize the accent he's on vacation or something come out there this was, it was like January or something you know I was fishing along there and he comes out on his, on his condo deals starts in talking to me about asking me quizzing me about how good the ice fishing was here well, it's already January, you know, and I'm like, well, I just tell hell, you know, ice just don't get, uh, water don't get that hard. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's not, I mean, dude, there's some people that love it. I got buddies who love ice fishing more than open water fishing, but I just, I feel like a lot of them just don't like their situation at home. <laughs> I would, <laughs> I got a dude that mows his yard that way. <laughs> Took them all the yard about every three days, man. It looks like it. I mean, you know, I know what all it is. He don't want to talk to his wife. He jumps on his wife. That's one good thing about. Now I do get a lot of peace on my riding mower as well, because can't nobody wants to mess with nobody on the lawnmower, you know. It's true. It's on here just so he don't have to talk to his wife. I really do. Because there ain't no way you can mow as often. No way. <laughs> I even mean, left side of the creek down there. About every three days, fire <laughs> No way, man. Well, let's hope he doesn't listen to this podcast, or you might I, have to talk to his wife. I, hey, he'd stay over on that side of the street. <laughs> James Overstreet, you are awesome. Thank you uh, for spending some time with me, and thank you for being the person you are. Really? Huh? What? I was hollering to tell my neighbors about he is, man. He makes a lot of damn racket. I don't mean I don't like him. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Okay. Thanks. Some people are noisy. Come and see you. Huh? Thanks for asking me to come and hang out and see you. Oh, well, yeah. Anytime. Anytime, dude. I love catching up with you. Um, and we'll probably continue to catch up. But right now, this show's over. <laughs> the one and only James Overstreet. Unfiltered, uncut, and unmatched, if you ask me. Um, he's an amazing dude and a guy who I was happy to have on this podcast, but even happier to call one of my best friends. I hope you guys enjoyed this and, um, you know, the deal, give it a lot of likes and leave a comment. Let us know what the biggest fish you've ever caught is type of fish and weight in the comments and, um, check out this channel each and every day we upload something, whether it be one of the underwater shorts, whether it be, a bunch of different stuff that gets uploaded on this channel. Every single day, there is something for you to check out here. But every single Wednesday, you can count on us putting a little hump back in your hump day. Take it away, Bob Cobb. Thanks for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Because Bob Cobb of the Bassmasters told you to. You hear?